sort. God, it changes us. It affects change. Lord, it pierces to the depths of our soul and flesh. And God, we ask you, Lord, this morning just to speak. Holy Spirit, let me speak everything that you have for me to speak. Open our ears to hear exactly what you have to hear. More than a sermon, more than a day, more than just a church service. But God, Lord, we want to be the church of Jesus Christ in these last days. We want to be the people you've called us to be. And Lord, we're praying for a mighty move of God in these last days. And Lord, whatever it takes, let us be willing to take the medicine, Lord, that our churches, our families, our communities would be healed and at a place where you can pour out your spirit. And if you agree with that, somebody say, Amen. 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 That means let it be. Let it be. I want to talk to you about uh, a fasted life. And our sermon title this morning is Sinning on Sunday. What does that mean, sinning on Sunday? And we're in the book of Isaiah, going through it, uh, through the promises of God in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 58, verse 5. But uh, how many people like king cake? All right, good bit of you. Okay, so, uh, you know, I told, I told our first service this morning that, you know, I didn't really know what that was. So my family, those of you who know me, my family is from the South. My dad was born in Elk Grove, Louisiana. My mom uh, in Arkansas, Southeast Arkansas. So I was born on the Louisiana-Arkansas uh, line, lived there till I was seven and a half, and went to Missouri where we lost job in that area, and we moved to St. Louis area, and uh, got, my parents had a job up there. And so my family's from Louisiana, Arkansas, but I don't know if they never converted to this far south or not, because we never, I never had gumbo till seven years ago when we moved to this church. I never had a king cake. I didn't know what it was. So when I first moved here, it was like, hey, welcome, northerner, to Louisiana. Let's give this little spiky-head white boy some stuff from Louisiana. So every week it was like they were bringing etouffee into the office and gumbo and, and chicken and rice and red beans and rice. And so I had Tums, you know, stockpiled in my desk, you no, not really. So one time somebody said, hey, I'm going to bring you a king cake. I had earthly no idea. I can't even tell you what I thought they were saying. Uh, but they brought this cake and they just said, be careful when you eat it. There might be something inside. So I'm thinking there's something living. It's an opossum. What's going on? But anyway, so I come to find out it was good, and there was a baby on the inside, and it was weird, but okay, I'm in Louisiana. Who are these crazy people? And, but I grew to love your jelly-filled, sugar-coated pastries. I mean, who wouldn't love that? And I found out really quick when you go to buy one, there are good ones and bad ones, and I think you all know that. So I've become accustomed so I get that, but as I've come into the South and, and come down here and assimilated into culture, you know, one of the things I really have yet ever to fail to comprehend, I think you'd agree with me on, uh, is really to understand the whole concept of Mardi Gras, right? Uh, it's kind of like it's that season that some people who travel to Louisiana uh, come and let's say, let's sin as much as we can and then fast, and it's probably the most hypocritical holiday in American history that doesn't make any sense biblically, but whatever. Uh, and I know that most of us in Louisiana don't really do that. And, and there are some that you know, what you see on TV is not what most people do. But the fact that you could have a holiday that says, let's sin right up until Fast Tuesday, Fat Tuesday and then give up fish and soda, and then that will please the Lord, is something kind of crazy. Let's just be honest. And uh, the newsflash for that type of individual would be to say this, that guess what? Your sin separates you from God even when you fast. That fasting alone doesn't fix that situation. But I got to thinking about that and say, that's kind of crazy, and we could look at that and put that out there. But then really I got to thinking, how much of us in the American church, how much of the normal American church do we really actually do that? 
that Monday through Saturday, I live following after the flesh and then think unconsciously like Cinderella, I can like a pumpkin turn into a Christian on Sunday. And we don't intentionally do it, and those people don't know the difference. And I wonder how many times throughout the week that we just go through our week just living a normal life, just acting like we want to act, thinking like we want to think, doing like we want to do, and then think we can please God by coming to church on Sunday. So you can see where this sermon's going to go today. You know, some things in the Word of God is medicine, and it's good for us to take some medicine. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Amen? So we might look down at that character, but think about things like this. Do we, can we think and we can watch whatever we want to watch on TV on Saturday night or talk about so-and-so at the dinner table and then come to church on Sunday and think we please God with our attendance? Or do we leave church feeling satisfied that we've met our agreement with God only to go home and argue and fight with our family? You know, sometimes we barely get into the car before we've already fought. You know, to the world we can look the part, but you can still have religion and be lost. So how has really all of our church going changed us in the American church? I, I am really praying today, guys, that, that there is revival once again in the American church. And while I see pockets of it and, and there are, there's outbreaks of revival happening on the streets of New Orleans and Fort Smith and Washington, D.C., and there are people really hungry for God, I've yet to really see it take over in the normal Sunday church service in America. That where are the days where we had a passionate zeal to worship or serve in the local church or where are the miracles and the healings and the deliverances like we used to have or the tongues and interpretations and the gifts of the Spirit uh, in operation? Where are the radical conversions where the baptismal tank always seems to be full? Where are the altars that used to be full with weeping and tears? And why have almost 50% of normal church attenders not returned after this COVID-19? And why are pastors quitting at alarming rates? Some have estimated during the course of this uh, shutdown that 20% of pastors may not survive after this is over. I think the reason is that our sin separates us from God, even on Sundays. Our sin separates us from God, even on Sundays. We sin on a Sunday any time we're satisfied with being separated from God Monday through Sunday. We sin every time on Sunday we leave the church and fail to go and do for others what Jesus has done for us. So I want to talk to you a little bit about a serious message in Isaiah 58 because it's going to do some good medicine for us in the American church today. It's really about a fasted life. Isaiah 58, verse 5. Let me give you the background. So Israel and Judah had split. There was division in the house of God's people. Israel had gone to the north and followed after its own desires. And, and Judah went to the south, two tribes in the south, ten tribes in the north. And really both had, had, had really a lot of bad things going on. And they began, even though they had the semblance of religion, began to be self-seeking. They began to worship idols and God at the same time. They began to trust in the things of man more than the things of God. They built their own kingdom on the earth instead of building God's kingdom on the earth. They look more like the nations than the nation of God. And so God said, I'm going to give you to your own desires. Prophet after prophet after prophet came and they did not listen. So Assyria came and took the northern tribes. Then another nation, Babylon, came and took the southern tribes and sent them away into exile. 
And they are living now in the land of Babylon. And Isaiah the prophet is speaking into this generation 150 years into the future. He's writing a prophetic word to those people that they'll have and they'll pull out and read. And Isaiah sees this happening. He says that there will come a time where Israel, they'll have no temple to worship in, and there's nothing, that they really don't have the festivals and feasts, but they're going to do something. They're going to go try to keep the Sabbath going, where they worship God on the last day of the week, and they're going to institute a bunch of fasts, because we can't go do all the things we did, but we're really wanting to go back to our homeland. So these people begin to fast, and they begin to pray, and they say, God, you did it for Moses. Lord, you brought him out of slavery, and you parted the Red Sea, and you brought down fire from heaven and you provided manna in the wilderness and Lord you led them to the promised land. Won't you come down and do that again? How many people are praying for that in America? God won't you come down and bring revival again? God won't you answer our prayers? Won't you heal our community of addiction? God won't you bring our students back to worshiping you? God won't you fill the church house again with the power of the Holy Spirit? And they're praying for revival. Lord bring us back. Bring us back. And they begin to fast and fast and they say God how come you're not answering our prayers? God, why have we fasted and you don't see? And God gives them this word. Let's read it together. Isaiah 58, verse 5. Is it a fast like this which I choose? A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? But is not the fast which I choose... A fast to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and when you hide, not to hide yourself from your own flesh. And then, then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory, the tangible presence of God, the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you'll call. Then you'll call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry, and then he'll say, Here I am. If, if you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the spreading of wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you, and he'll satisfy your desire in scorched places. He'll give strength to your bones, and you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild those ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. He's simply saying, I have a desire to bring restoration to my people. I want to pour out my spirit in your coming and your going. I want to rebuild the house of my presence. I want to pour out where your, your family is restored, your community is restored, that my light and my glory shines upon my people. That's my heart. He says, but... Here's how that's got to happen. Here's my cry to you. It is not in simple religious acts. And he goes on and he begins to tell me, he says, you're fasting. You're fasting, but you're impressing your employees. Think about it. You're fasting. You begin to fast, but you're fighting among yourselves. What good is your fasting if you're fighting in your homes? What good is your fasting if you begin to gossip about your neighbors? He says, you begin, he, says, he begins to cry out to what they're doing. He says, you're assassinating the character of your fellow man. He says, I hear what you're doing. You're crying out to me in prayer, but then you begin cursing those that are down the street. He says, you fast to deny your body, 
But then you turn your back and deny charity to those that are in need. And then he says, they're Sabbath. He says, you, you fasted, and then you take in your Sabbath. He says, your Sabbath. He says, beyond your lies and your gossip and, and your fighting and your mistreatment of others, he says, you've forgotten the true meaning of the Sabbath day and what it means to keep it holy. He says, they were coming and they would, they would have these days where they would set their, their end of their week aside and they would rest and they would come to do the motions in their synagogues or makeshift synagogues in exile. But then they would leave and they'd go about their own business. They would go do their parties. They would work their mules. They would uh, make their other employees work on the Sabbath day. And they began to really delight more in their afternoon activities than in the service of worship that morning. And God says, don't you think I know this? Don't you think I I know that you really look at the Sabbath day as a day for your own pleasure. Now, doesn't that speak home to America? Don't you think I know that when you really look forward to that day of worship, you're really looking forward to doing your own business in the afternoon, that you're not really delighting in my presence? You can't hide this from me. I know what an acceptable Sabbath is. You can't hide the fasting from me. I know what your heart is saying. So actually, he says, outwardly you're appearing religious, but inwardly I know you're self-seeking. He says, you have religion, but you're lost, and your sin has become this barrier that prevents me from bringing revival to you again. They're blind to their own conditions. They wanted God to answer them, but they neglected God's heart. They neglected to give themselves Away And ultimately to do this, that as God had delivered them from sin and God had delivered them from slavery and led them into freedom and restoration, they had failed to appreciate it and to do that for the least of these. To say, man, God is a God who's restored us and always been there. How can we not also do what he has done for us to others. So how does this apply for you and for me uh, today? We're right where we live in Isaiah 58. What does that have to do with the American church, with Gina, Louisiana at Sanctuary Family Worship Center? Are we Sunday sinners? I want to really take a real examination of my own heart. Am I a Sunday sinner and what does that mean? For instance, can I call myself a Christian and think God is pleased if I can talk bad about people on Facebook and social media? Or maybe is God pleased with me if I think I can be rude to a cashier or a waiter? Or if I can fail to get along with my family and hold grudges for years? Is God pleased if I think I can worship on Sunday and tear people down immediately over Sunday dinner? Or is God pleased if I say things like this, I'm friendly until you cross me or you don't want to see my bad side? Is God pleased? Is God pleased if we cheat our bosses by being dishonest with our time or lazy and putting extra work on our coworkers? Or is God pleased if we indulge ourselves in TV daily when we fail to read our Bibles and pray? Or is God pleased if we think we can watch movies with tons of immorality and cursing and nudity on Saturday night and think God will answer our prayers on Sunday morning? It's quiet in here. Is God pleased if we think we can pay our tithes and think we're doing God and the pastor a favor? Or we can freely spend money on ourselves without thinking throughout the week, but then when a missionary or a need comes up in the church, we have to think and pray about it. Is God pleased if we involve our kids in all sorts of activities like sports and dance but fail to involve them in the local church? Or is God pleased when He knows that we'll sit through a church service, but deep down... 
Deep down, we really would enjoy ourselves more if we were fishing or watching a football game or eating at a good restaurant or watching a movie and that we really delight more in those things than we do in His presence. Because I can tell you right now, I've been to Gina football games and LaSalle Parish football games, and I know people enjoy those things more than they enjoy church services. Now, let's just be honest here today, because God sees it. We can't hide this stuff from Him. He knows. He knows if we really would rather you're sitting here today and you're just trying to get through it, maybe your spouse brought you, or you know you want to get out of hell free card or something, I don't know, but that you really would rather be at Outback enjoying a steak, or that you really would rather be at Texas Roadhouse enjoying a roll. I mean, we know, God knows really where our hearts are, doesn't He? What can we hide from Him? Or do we enjoy being in the manifest presence of God, worshiping with saints, seeing lives change, seeing families restored, giving everything we have to the kingdom of God that somebody might be saved this Sunday? Is that our number one delight in the American church? Or do we rather watch football? Or do we rather go home and get in our sweatpants and get on Facebook? Because sometimes it feels that way. That God knows where our hearts are. And we say, God, how come you're not bringing restoration? How come you're not answering my, my prayers? God, how come you're not blessing us? Where is the Spirit of God in the American church again? And he's saying, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to have my heart. God, we've attended church. We've been good moral people. How come you don't hear us? You know, religious people always seek to do the bare minimum and then will justify themselves for what they do. We can attend, but we'll never serve. And that's good enough. Remember what James said in chapter 1? He says, anybody thinks himself to be religious and he doesn't bridle his tongue, but he deceives his own heart, that man's religion is worthless. It's pure, undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. It's to visit orphans and widows in their distress. It's to keep yourself untainted by the world. True religion looks like Jesus in action. It's not a Sunday service. It's not paying off the pastor so he won't call you every week. It's not doing things that think that you're going to get out of hell free card. It's saying, I'm so moved by what God has done in my life. I thank God for grace that today I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. I have a hope and there is no eternity. There's an eternity without end where I'm going to be in the blessing of God. And because I've won that rich reward freely paid in Jesus Christ, I can now give myself to Him and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. You see, it's changed by the Spirit of God. And that we have God's heart. Blessing and cursing shouldn't come from the same mouth if we've been changed by God. Truly moved by what He's done for us. You see, we're Sunday sinners if, we, if all of our religious works don't lead to life change. We're Sunday sinners if we think we can satisfy God by coming to church. We're Sunday sinners if we delight in anything more than His presence. That's a hard one. We are Sunday sinners if we do not leave church and go do the same of what Jesus has done for us. You see, our sin can separate us from God even on Sundays. So what's the result of all this church going? What's the result of coming to sanctuary every week? What's the, what should be the result of experiencing the life change of Jesus Christ? For fasting, he told Israel, he said, guys, if you were really fasting, you would get humble before God and before others. He said, if you were really fasting, you'd become better people. If you are really fasting, you begin to put to death the flesh. And if you are really going to the Sabbath day to worship God, 
you would delight yourself in the presence of the Lord. If you were really there because you loved God, you would remember to rest in His presence. You would rejoice in His work that He's done for you. You would set that day aside and be satisfied that you came to the house of the Lord. You wouldn't go home and think, man, I'm so glad now I get all these projects done today. I've really been looking forward to Sunday all week so I can get all this stuff done. You'd be saying, no, I'm so glad I went to the house of the Lord today. Man, His presence was there. He showed up and showed out. Man, people were changed. People were delivered. People were set free. Man, my life was touched, I'll never be the same because I've been in the presence of God. You see, there's a difference in religion and relationship with the Spirit of God. He said, what's the result of all this religion? It should be that it produces charity in you. You know what the word charity means in the Latin? It means Christ-like love for your fellow man. We talk about giving to charity and putting money with Santa Claus at the Red Cross, you know, Salvation Army at the little bell thing. That's not charity. Charity is loving people like Jesus has loved you. That's literally what charity means. And so I think about the Good Samaritan story in Luke chapter 10. Remember that story where a guy, a Jewish guy, is going down this uh, risky road and he gets robbed and beaten up to a pulp and he's there laying dead. And three religious people come by, you know, a priest and, and a Levite and, and a Jewish man. And they just pass him. They go over to the other side of the road. They ignore his condition. But yet this good-for-nothing heathen of a man stops and he binds his wounds, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to a hotel, puts him up overnight, pays his fare, then comes back and checks on him later. And Jesus Jesus looks to the religious people, the church-going people, and he says, which one of these people showed charity, mercy to this man? He said, well, probably the Samaritan, the guy who showed the mercy. And Jesus says, well, he says, go and do the same. You see, ultimately, Jesus is the one who's done that for all of us. He's the one that released us from the slavery of Egypt. He's the one that brought us out by the fire of His presence. He was the Moses that led us to the promised land. He's the one that baptized us in the Jordan River, and He baptized us again with fire as we slept at night. He's the one that provided manna every single day when it was a dry and barren land, and He takes us to a place of promise in His Son, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, if I've done that for you, can't you tell the nations who I am? Show them, show them who I am by doing the same. How can we be the church if we don't demonstrate it to the world what Jesus has done for us? You see, church going won't do that. Coming to an actual Sunday service at 11 or 10.30 or 9 in the morning, whatever it is, that alone will not be what pleases God. It'll be that you have a life-changing encounter and you are so moved by the grace of God that you'll never be the same. He says there are people we should be going to in this passage. Look in verse 10. He says there's the afflicted and the oppressed. Who are the afflicted? He says that's those that are around you that are suffering. Those that are being taken advantage of. That's the outcasts of the society. That's like what James says. He says, if you see someone in need and they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're naked and you just say, have a great day. It, what good of religion is that? He says, no, true religion is that but to help those that can't help themselves. To demonstrate to them what Jesus has done for you. You say, well, they don't deserve it. Neither did you. Well, they, they got themselves in that position. So did you. Have mercy. What does the Lord want from you? But to love mercy, to do justice, to walk humbly with our God. That's what God wants for us to look like Him. So give to the afflicted. The word satisfied there in verse 10, it says to satisfy their needs. That means to be assured that they have enough. 
There was a time in Israel where people began to owe so much money and that they would take everything they had and they would take even their outer coat. And the outer coat in, in the ancient days was that thing that even poor people were allowed to keep even if they owed everything. That at nighttime they wouldn't freeze to death and die. They had this big warm outer coat. And people began taking that coat and that was against the law of God. He said even if someone gets to that place, give them their coat back. Even if they owe that to you, give them something. Don't let them get to destitute level. Help those that are, because sometimes you know, when you get to a certain place, you can never get yourself back up again. Help those that get to the rock bottom. And then you begin to have a conversation with them and say, look, we are all at rock bottom without Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about someone who's doing for you what or did for me what I'm doing for you. That I was at a low place in my life and without a hope. And I was at a place where I was captive to sin and I had no place to go. But then Jesus came and showed compassion on me. And I didn't deserve it, but he freely lavished his grace on me. More than the riches of heaven, I've gained in him. And so now I can freely give you some hope because I know Jesus. That's what we're here for, church. I don't care if you come on Sundays if you're not doing that. Let me just be honest. I'm not here to get a paycheck and to preach you for 50 years. I'm here to see the life transformation happen in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana, and around the world for the glory of God. It is about life change. It is about affecting the gospel in our community. He says to give yourself. Look what he says in verse 10, to give yourself. You know, sometimes we can easily in America just give money to a problem. Well, if I just give that, then they'll do that. You know, if I give Pastor Heath some money, then he can go pay those people's light bills. I don't have to talk to nobody. Or if I just throw money, then, then that, it's, sometimes it's easier to write a check than it is to actually go do something for somebody. You know this? It's easier just to say, pacify the problem. He says, no. It's giving yourself. What does it mean? To give your heart. Bible, uh, Romans says to weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That means you have to get down there with them. Say, man, I'm so sorry you have a loss in your family. I'm so sorry you're going through this hard time. Maybe you do deserve it. Maybe it's the consequences of your own decisions. And that's where it led. But let's have an honest conversation. Man, I feel for you. I'm empathetic because I was at the same place in my life once before. Are you with me this morning? That's the church in action. He says, go to the oppressed there in that verse. He says, you know the word oppressed literally in the Hebrew means to the broken. And outside on our church wall right here behind me is a five-foot poster, uh, flyer, that says, Welcome to the broken. Who are the broken? Jesus said, I'm coming to the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who know they are at the end of their rope, they are ready for life change, they're looking for a savior, they know that their condition is not right inside themselves, they're tired of the things this world is offering. He says, I'm calling you to the broken. That's what this church is all about. I don't know if you've been here one day or two years or 20 years. That's what we're here for, to go to the broken, to the lowly, to the least of these, to those who are in slavery by sin, who've been impoverished by sin, who have a bankrupt life, who are working uh, to get loose. And they say, I need someone who can lead me to the freedom that's offered in Jesus Christ. You see, probably one of the most scariest verses in Scripture to me is Matthew 25, 41, and we might know this well, but I'm going to read it anyway. He says, then these will also say to me, he said, then I will say to them on the left, he says, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they'll say to him and answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we didn't take care of you? 
And he'll answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to everlasting life. Now, I looked at that verse years ago, and I began to think, oh my gosh, I've got to find a homeless ministry. I've got to find a prison ministry. I've got to make sure all, I'm meeting these conditions. You know what that is? That's religious. That's the same thing as fasting and, and praying. All those things that without the heartbeat of God are just another checklist to get God off your case so you'll go to heaven. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, I never knew you. That means you never shared my heart for the lowly. You see, you may never be called to a prison ministry, but you may be called to your niece or nephews. You may never go to a homeless camp, or you may never go to a prison, or you may never have to clothe somebody that is naked, but that you have compassion for those around you in your context, that God is sharing His heart with you. And you say, I see a place in my society, in my community, in my family, where I can demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ who died for me. And He says, if you have my heart... If you demonstrate that freedom that I've given to you, God is not asking us for more or better religious works. You see, churchianity is no substitute for charity. That means that all of our church going is no substitute for being the church. That means that we have to be changed by God's grace, that Christ has become a slave for us, that He lowered Himself, made Himself of no reputation, to die a sinner's death, a cursed death on a cross, and that God exalted Him to be a name that is above every name. That's what we are doing here while we are waiting for His return. That if He lowered Himself and freely gave me all things, how can I not freely give all things to Him? How can I not say, yes, Lord, have my whole heart. Yes, Lord, use me in your mission. Yes, God, use me to tell the broken what you've done for me because I've been changed by grace. We're not going to church to justify ourselves. We're going to church because we are the church and we're thankful to be saved and we're appreciative of what God has done. So therefore, we go and do the same. And what does God promise? And I'll close with this. What does He promise? Look at that last part. He says, if you're going to have my heart, He says, the light of my presence will break forth. That means the blessing of God is going to break forth over your life. He says, if you have my heart, He says, there will be recovery. That means healing will happen in your homes. That means healing is going to happen in your communities. If you have my heart, He says, you're going to have my protection. My righteousness will go before you, and my glory will be your rear guard. That wherever you're coming and going, they're going to look and say, there's someone coming that is right with God, who's got the presence of God. And everywhere you leave, and there's a remnant of His presence, leaving behind you that as you walk with a family through a trial or situation they say man surely God showed up when that person got involved man when we went to church there was a group of people there they had the presence of God and as we left the building we felt the presence of God still stay with us because they had the glory of God in their lives that's what he says he gets, he says if you have my heart I will hear your prayers and in one place he says I'll even answer before you begin to ask because you have my heart. And I know if you begin to cry out to me, you're crying out my heart cry. And I love to answer my will. I love to give revival to people like that. I love to bring restoration. He says, I'll be, let you build the ancient ruins back. Every place the enemy meant for evil, I'll build it back for good. The things that were torn down in your families, you're going to wake up one day and say, man, didn't God bring us back from the brink of it? Didn't God do something amazing? He rebuilt things that the devil tore down. Even in our communities, and our children's children, he says, I'll build a legacy for you that will be unending. 
There will be refreshment. There will be joy. There will be peace. There will be an eternal inheritance if you have my heart. Don't you want that? Man, don't you want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit like God promises in your life and in your family and in this church and in this community? So how has your church going changed you? We sit on Sunday if we're satisfied with being separated from God Monday through Saturday. We sit on Sunday every time we leave without delighting in His presence. And we sit on Sunday every time we fail to go and do the same that Jesus has done for us because our sin can still separate us even on Sundays. So our challenge is to repent, to give ourselves away, and to be the church. You're asking, how can I do that? I'll give you some practical ways to take home. You know, if you have any type of skill, gift, or if you can just open a door for someone, you can have a job in our church. There's a place for you no matter what your skill level, interest, activity, or ability is. We will find a place for you to be the church and use your God-given gifts for His glory. If you can't find it here, we're ministering this year to 250 kids who need Christmas. There's all kinds of ways to be invested in our local community. We have a Celebrate Recovery that ministers to those in drug addiction, life's changing and challenges. Man, that goes to those who are fighting depression and abuse and trauma. Every single week we're speaking life into individuals. We've got a single women's ministry that ministers to widows and single moms that we haven't been able to minister to this year because of COVID. And how might we creatively begin to minister to those ladies? We can sponsor a child every month through One Child Matters and sponsor children who don't eat a normal day, uh, have a normal food and need an education and need to know about Jesus. You can give to ministries and missions all around this church are represented on the hallway out there. There's 20 missionaries that could need your support and prayer. But more than anything, you could find a neighbor or a coworker or a family member who really needs to know Jesus has changed my life. And I want to do for you what he's done for me. Go and do the same. Give yourself away. Be the church. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, all across this room? Worship team, would you come? I want to take just the next few moments and examine our hearts. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord, and if you were to die today, you wouldn't have confidence you would make it into eternity with Jesus. The Bible's very clear that He's a good, gracious Father. He forgives us of all unrighteousness if we come to Him with honest and open hearts, if we'll believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, if we'll repent of our sin and trust our whole life into His care and control. If we'll ask Him to fill us with the Holy Spirit, He loves to give those good gifts to those who ask. Truly, truly ask in faith. You can do that right now. It's not a prayer that I pray over you. It's not anything that I can do for you. It's simply your heart has to get in line with His heart and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Fill me. Save me. And He will. To every person who calls upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. Or maybe you're like me, and you're in the church, and you know the Lord. But it's time to re-examine and say, Lord, why aren't we seeing revival in the American church? It's because maybe we've been sinning on Sundays. Maybe God wants to break our heart again for what breaks His. Say, Lord, move us. Share our hearts with You. We're not here for a church service. We're here to be the church. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and bow your hearts and invite you just to cry out to the Lord with me. 
that I'm gonna, I want to be thankful again for God's grace. It rejoice again in the freedom over sin. And find that youthful newness again of what it meant when you first got saved. When you first met the Lord and how thankful and excited you were that God would rebirth that again in us. And say, Lord, give me compassion. Give me your heart. So, Lord, as our team begins to play this song, we just make an altar right here, right now. Say, Lord, rend our hearts. Move in us again. Lord, if we are not saved, now is the time we can be saved. Lord, and if we are, if we know you, Lord, that you would share our hearts, your heart with us, oh God. That we humble ourselves and say, Lord, please forgive us of our sin. Maybe we've been loose with our tongue throughout the week. Maybe we've let our righteousness and holiness go down a little bit. Lord, we've been involved in too many things and entertainment has driven us and our hobbies and our free time have driven us and we've delighted more in going out to eat and we've delighted more in movies and we've delighted more in Facebook and we've delighted more than sitting on our couches and being alone than we've delighted than being in your presence. So Lord, draw us again to where the most delightful thing we have in this world is pursuing your presence. God, bring us back to that place where we can be renewed, where you will once again repair the broken places. Once again, pour your light and your presence on us. Once again, Lord, we cry out and say, Lord, forgive us. Heal our land, oh God. We seek you. I'm going to invite you. If you want to find a place to pray today, you can. this altar is open. If you want God to do something in your life, our elders, our pastors are here. But I invite you. This is a holy moment. Holy moment. Let's not just go through this again with a checklist. If you want to find a place to pray, maybe in the front row or here in the altars, or maybe just sit where you are and just say, Lord, deal with my heart. We're going to take a moment just to seek the Lord because it's more than just talk. It's where His Spirit begins to come and work with our spirit. So, Lord, we invite you in this moment. Let's just make that altar. Would you do that? If you're a saint of God, you know how to pray. Would you just begin to pray? You just begin to seek the Lord for our church and for this community. Let's just be intercede. Intercede for our generations, our children, and our youth. They would know the Lord. That God would pour out His Spirit again. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Holy are you. Pour your Spirit out again, Lord. Lord, forgive us of our sins, O God. Lord, we want you and nothing else, O God. Lord, you are our one desire, Lord. Spirit, come. Oh, God, we seek after you, Lord Jesus, with our whole heart. Holy, 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 holy. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Let's just go after the Lord this morning, church. Let's just tell him how much we need him. Tell him how much we love him. Oh, how good he's been to us. Lord, we rejoice in you. Oh, God, Jesus. Jesus, you don't owe me anything.